0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Wrong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, August the 18th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and connect the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus. The author today continues to expound and to interpret everything through Psalm 110 verse 4 and connects it back to Christ as the priest, high priest forever the first half of the chapter of chapter 7 showed that christ was after the order of melchizedek and melchizedek is this kind of guy that you don't hear about much but he shows up and then he makes the connections connects the dots and what an enriching study that was yesterday where we stopped almost on the cliff and verse 17 of this chapter and today we continue to learn as the author teaches us how jesus is that priest forever What a joy that is, because the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Pastor Bruce Tim of Redeemer Lutheran Church in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Pastor Tim, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thanks, Brady. It's good to be here.
0: Pastor Tim, tell us about how you are, your family, and the work of the saints at Redeemer.
1: I'm doing great getting ready for, I guess, the educational year to resume at Redeemer. Um, Spent a few days last week at the lake with my three daughters, their husbands, two granddaughters, three dogs, uh, my son and my wife. So that was a, a lot of excitement on the waterfront, but a, a very good time of rest and uh, refreshment with the family. Had to cut it short for a funeral and come back and take care of a, a, a 101-year-old uh, blessed saint of a woman um, who I am dearly going to miss because the visits to her were always enriching to my faith and um, she had a lot of difficulties in her life but lived with great optimism and faith in Jesus so it it wasn't a difficult funeral to preach but uh definitely uh sorrow in in what um i miss uh with her not being here anymore uh, but
0: and that's a that's a great insight to i guess you would say the pastor's life is There's so many times, and you and I have talked about this prior, is you visit people and you think that you're going there to minister to them. And at the end, you walk out and go, I think they just... I think they're my pastor right now because <laughs> they're giving me so much gift of grace and and the struggles, but yet the optimism, like you said, it is such a gift to us as pastors. So a reminder to our listeners, not only to pray for that family, but also pray for Pastor Tim and his work and the, the joys he's having, the the struggle, the struggle, struggles, grieving, I'll say grieving that happened. And also, I understand that you were the Bible study leader at an L.W. retreat at Lutheran Island camp recently as well. How'd that go?
1: very well we um i can never remember from year to year what attendance was like but there was about 50 uh, women of the lwml that met at our district camp lutheran island camp near henning and uh, we last lent i had done a lenten series on ezra Mm -hmm. uh, which i thought turned out fairly well using a commentary from concordia publishing house Uh, And when we were looking at ideas, I'm the Minnesota North Pastoral Counselor for LWM. Um, I suggested Ezra uh, with the theme of going home, um, in that Ezra led the Israelites uh, back when Cyrus freed them back to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And the difficulties is encountered on the way. Uh, the plans, the preparation, the, the listing of names. Um, so, we did three sessions or four, I guess, on Ezra um, and just talked about how the, the similarities between um, us being pilgrims and strangers here on earth, once we learn the Lord's Word, uh, the challenges that we face. The world speaking a different language and being of a different culture, I think it turned out well.
0: Well, you got the sample of approval from my mother, so I think that works out pretty well. She said you did a great job. Well,
1: thank you and thank God.
0: <laughs> there it is. Well, Pastor, we are here to study Hebrews chapter 7, and as we do that, can you ask the Lord's blessings for our time in prayer?
1: Yes, Lord God, Heavenly Father, your Son, as spoken of by the writer of Hebrews, is greater, more, fuller, complete. And in that, he prepared the people of his time to face the many dangers, false teachings, and distractions that the devil would throw up into the face of the early church. Things are not that much different today, and so we pray that you would use these words of Hebrews to point us to Jesus, always greater, more full, the the complete author of our salvation, that we might depend and trust in him and look to him alone as our Savior and our life. Bless the words that... Pastor Finnern and I share with the audience today that it may be fruitful and salutary for their faith.
0: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. If you have any questions concerning our text today from Hebrews chapter 7, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or for for our time today, also call in 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727. 7. as we come to hebrews chapter 7 everything um, the, the, the each verse could almost be an hour long program or study in my opinion because it is so full and rich as pastor said very well the the full and greater promises that we have in christ and and what i want to do today pastor is i want to read through the text that we're going to study first and then I want to come back and hear about your introductory thoughts and themes because it is so rich and full that we have to make sure that we um, that we're able to. I'm I, I comparing it to cheesecake. I don't know, Pastor. are You a cheesecake fan? Uh, yes. There it is. If you eat cheesecake too quick, your stomach hurts, you don't you don't appreciate it, you gotta meditate on it. Obviously, this analogy breaks down everywhere you look, but I plus I always get hungry when I bring it up. But but it's like cheesecake, you gotta, gotta meditate on it, you gotta you gotta eat it slowly. And that's what my goal is, that we slowly go through the richness of these words. So let's begin here. Verses eighteen to the end of the chapter. We are rendered to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. Verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside, because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this was one who this was made a priest with the oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were made in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So, Pastor, as you hear these words, nothing happens outside of a context and background. How do you want to uh, begin our time this morning um, to help us out to start off on the right foot?
1: Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, Melchizedek is key here, and it seems that the writer of hebrews by inspiration of the spirit is given much more information or insight into melchizedek than we would have simply from reading the account uh, when he does come to abraham as the king of salem and does the uh, receives tithes So I think that's important, and you probably, as you mentioned in the introduction, went over a lot of Melchizedek today, but we know that Melchizedek, the order of his priesthood is unique, and that right there uh, points us ahead to Jesus, and as I mentioned in my opening prayer, the whole context of Hebrews, and, and this might be too simplistic, um but it, it's jesus is more uh and and it really probably could be said jesus is all or even as the language uh, i think later in this text or or maybe it's just in some of my reading to prepare for today you know everything else is shadow and he is reality and and that's the context of the whole book, but that certainly is in this comparison between Melchizedek, who stood in distinction from the Levitical priesthood, so Jesus, as the fulfillment and completion um, of the Levitical priesthood, stands in distinction to it.
0: And this is, the language is, is kind of difficult uh, throughout Hebrews, because like you said, he is, he is all, but the language is often, he's doing a lot of comparison. So he says right. something like, consider Jesus. And you're like, okay, all right, what, what does that mean? Are we doing an apologetic thing here? You know, is this like, well, he's one of many, and the language is used that way. And then he says, he is a greater than Moses. And he sometimes... You know he uses that language, and you get, get confused. Where it's kind of like, well, so he's just better than. And today he uses that same kind of language. So, if someone were to ask you something along those lines, well, pastor, he's he's kind of using comparison, like that he's almost one of many. I mean, would you? How would you address that as we look at our text in the Book of Hebrews? Or what are your thoughts?
1: Probably the best word, and it's used um, as I studied it used often in this text. And again, it's a word with many facets, but completion, fulfillment, perfection, so that these things that are mentioned in the Old Testament, these people, that he is the, the completion of Moses, that Moses was God's servant to point to Christ, And Jesus is certainly better than Moses, but Jesus is the, if you will, Moses, who leads not just the Israelites, but by his saving work leads us all out of sin and death, who in baptism drowns our eternal enemies and brings us out not alive, Uh, to live in an earthly land, uh, but alive to live on earth for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. So I think I would stick to that word. Always good to stick to scripture, but the completion, (laughs) the perfection, even as the writer of Hebrews today speaks about how the Levitical priesthood was weak and are weak and useless, Um, not that they were no good, but that by the law you could not reach the goal of, you know, forgiveness, uh, salvation, perfection. Jesus came along and was the completion of all those sacrifices. That's why we no longer in the divine service, in our worship of the Lord in his house, have any more sacrifices. Jesus is the completion of that. He's the perfect sacrifice. So I think I'd use that word mostly. Mm
0: -hmm. And you can get caught up in one word when you realize that the completion, like you said so well, like even today in our text... It says words that we have a high priest who's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens that we, when we loop, we can be like, Oh wow. He says greater than Moses. What does that mean? And then we forget all those other words that you said so well um, for us to focus because it's, it, it, the greater part is not the end of the sentence or the end of the paragraph. It's, it's exactly how you said the word completion. It is finished uh, of Jesus. Those, that kind of language is all over the place. So, Pastor, let's get into the text. For, we'll start with verses 18 and 19, as you've already wet our palates as we look at this comparison, but understanding who Jesus is. 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to god now you you alluded to this before pastor it says something about the former commandment of weakness and uselessness what is he what comparisons is he making here and what is he trying to tell us i
1: believe it's a simple law gospel comparison, but the law cannot do what it promises to do, or I read another translation that instead of useless, which to me seems like a not very favorable word, um, (laughs) the law is not useless or the former commandment, but they use the word unprofitable. In other words, it doesn't pay off. And it's because, it's not because of the law. The law is weak in the sense that we are weak and we can't fulfill it. The law is unprofitable in the sense that it promises us, you know, if you keep the law, you will live. But we cannot keep the law. And so the law makes a promise that it can't pay off not because of the law, but because of our sin. God never gave his law as the means of salvation. Even with Adam and even the garden, they had one commandment, but that was not to gain life for them. It wasn't given as the means to be with God. They were already completely and perfectly united with God, and he gave them the commandment, by keeping the commandment, they would simply remain in the relationship they already have. But the law was never given for salvation. And I didn't explore it, but it's something that as we look at this, we would perhaps need to look at, you know, as he's speaking of ceremonial law, what's the former commandment he's referring to here, but if we just look on it as the general law, it is weak, and I don't like the word useless, but I wasn't on the translation committee. I (laughs) would like the word unprofitable, but it's only those things because we are sinners. It still serves a good purpose, but it can't accomplish salvation because we can't keep... uh, the law in such a manner as to make ourselves presentable to God.
0: And it's interesting because that that word useless is troubling, and I think this is a struggle for us as Lutherans, is that we'll say the law is weak, meaning it cannot make us perfect, and then we will take a word like useless and then therefore say, well, we don't need the law, you know, it's, it's just something we don't need anymore. Um, and, and that, that can be very troublesome that we could probably talk the rest of our time, but kind of a, if there's something you have quick to say on that, why do we need the law? You, you definitely, uh, you're, you're around it, but you want to give a a stronger answer to say, why do we need the law? I mean, it says useless, unprofitable. So why do we need it?
1: Well, again, I probably would hearken back to Adam and Eve had the law and they had a perfect relationship with God. We, in Christ, also are made righteous and perfect, and so Adam and Eve had that law in that that perfect state. We are made righteous, and that law still serves, then, as God's word to us, and we know, certainly as We read through the book of Hebrews, but so many texts pointing back to what the Old Testament, uh, they were saved and redeemed by God. They had received the promises of God. Uh, They had the sacrifices, the priesthood. But we know that they regularly went against God's word. And a few weeks ago in my congregation, we're using the the one-year lectionary, But we had uh, the reading from 1 Corinthians, where God was disappointed with most of them. Why? Because they went against his word and broke it. And I use the telling illustration, well, it's not mine, it's scriptures of, you know, 600,000 men, Israelite men, God's children, left captivity under Moses, and two of them made it into the promised land. That's because they did not keep God's word, that as God's child, he is your father, he loves you, by faith you love him, and the child who loves his father desires to do what his father wants him to do. And how do we know what the father wants us to do? It's found in his word. Uh, So while the law does not serve or cannot deliver salvation because of our sin, that is not its only use or purpose from God. Uh, As we know from our study of the catechism and our confessional Lutheran writings, the law has three purposes, and for the Christian, Perhaps the most important use is that use of guiding us in what our Father wants us to do. And that's where this word useless is troubling in the translation. When it comes to salvation, even then the law is not useless. It shows us we can't save ourselves, Hmm. Uh, but it can't deliver on that promise because of our sin.
0: As we look at that, it continues, and I, I love how you how you laid that out. That, that was this beautiful. As we look at it's, it, we could say it's useless in the sense of if you're looking to become perfect through it. And then it says, on the other hand, I mean, this is where you know we got to keep reading. We don't want to stop there. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. What did you find in in that verse? Uh, the end of that verse and how how important it is to read the rest of that verse in order to understand the beginning.
1: Well, I would go back to that. Uh, in the ESV, it's a parenthetical statement. Um, in the beginning of verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. And uh, although many of our listeners wouldn't have the benefit of uh, Greek uh, the word there is of the same root word as what Jesus said on the cross that this word uh, nothing me made, uh, made nothing perfect that word perfect is tied to what Jesus said on the cross it is finished hmm. so hmm. if you will you know this is the better hope um when you talk to people about salvation, and if you ever ask them like those old evangelism questions, uh, do you hope to be saved? And while well, I hope so, and it's hmm. sort of this wishful, I certainly hope God is inclined to save me. Uh, I hope I'm good enough. But what the writer of Hebrew says here is the better hope is a certain hope. It's not a subjective, wishful hope that I hope I'm good enough, I hope I've been an okay child of God, but rather it's grounded in the the perfection, the finished work of Christ. I believe the last time you had me on, and I'll probably sound like a broken record, I made reference to this <laughs> statement from the Heidelberg Confession Mm -hmm. the law says, do this, and it is never done, the gospel says, believe this, and it is already done, and that might be the Bruce Tim paraphrase, I don't have it, I didn't look it up exactly, but that's the better hope, because it's certain, it's done, it's in Christ. As you said, if you look to the law, and, and outwardly, Civically, we know that the great majority of people look pretty good. You know, there are a few heinous criminals. But if the law uh, is bright and really shines in and it questions your thoughts and your motives, you're horrible. And the law will destroy Your hope in saving yourself, if you look at it honestly. And what Jesus said, it's
0: finished. And so this is the better hope. I mean, like how you said it about hopeful—that we'll say, "Well, I'm more more hopeful. Like, there's, I'm, I'm closer than I was." But here, when you brought up, and I love how you brought this up, is the perfect part is the it is finished part. Is It's, it's not uh, I'm more hopeful, but there is something we can actually hope in, which is something perfect. And as it says, unstained and the high priest and all of this. And I love the language here that I want to touch on on the other side of our break, because it connects us to chapter four, when it says, through which we draw near to God. And you spoke about this with the divine service, the worship service, drawing near to God, why it's important for us to know of this hope that Jesus is a better Melchizedek. He's better than Moses, and he is after the order of Melchizedek. Why can we then draw near to God? But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 7 with Pastor Bruce, Tim, and we'll be right back. On this Wednesday, August 18th, 2021, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Gerald and Billy Roslet of Deer Lodge, Montana. Gerald and Billy made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of their 48th wedding anniversary today. They are thankful to the Lord for bringing them together and blessing their marriage throughout the years. Thank you, Gerald and Billy Roslet, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Wednesday on Issues Etc.,
1: we'll talk with Greg Kokel about applying the Colombo tactic to critical race theory. We'll discuss what I wish my non Lutheran family knew about repentance with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller and its media coverage of religion with
0: Terry Mattingly.
1: Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO.
0: Yeah, I think your programming is just wonderful. I
1: love the emphasis on the traditional tunes rather than the modern music. Keep up the good work. Thank you. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. That's 314 314- Christ for you, anytime,
0: anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 7 with Pastor Bruce Tim of Redeemer Lutheran Church in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And Pastor, you, you said this so well before our break, You mentioned the Heidelberg Disputation, which is from 1518, written by Martin Luther. And he says this quote, The law says, do this, and it is never done. But grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. I mean, it is, is a perfect showing of law gospel. The weakness of the law, not the uselessness, but the weakness of it that he says here perfectly. And that's why I wanted to get your thoughts, because we know this, it is finished reality. And then he says that through which we draw near to God. And this is put together in chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I love this language, draw near to the throne of grace, draw near to God. And I know you've talked about it. Dr. Kleinig talks about it all the time in his commentary and connects it to the divine service. How would you describe this in the power of saying, draw near to God?
1: Using and something, uh, picking up on something you said earlier about these, these two kinds of hopes, uh, but the kind of the subjective hope, which is based on me, and the objective hope, which is fact, true, you know, doesn't depend on my feelings, and I, I believe that's what the divine service does, is it—we are often subjective. I don't feel like I'm a, a great child of God, or I believe in, that God is far away from me because I'm going through all these troubles. And the gift of the divine service is that it is objective— when the pastor says, according to God's or Jesus' promise in John 20, that your sins are forgiven, that's not his forgiveness. That's, that's Christ's forgiveness. When you're given Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, we don't say if you believe it's Christ's body or blood, and if you feel it's Christ's body and blood, then you're forgiven, but we say this is the body. Of Christ. This is the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So it is this odd, I don't think it's a paradox, I don't know exactly, but God draws near to us in Christ to accomplish our salvation and deliver that salvation. So he drew near in the person of Jesus, and now Jesus draws near in his word and sacraments in the divine service so that we can draw near to him. And so we do with our prayers. We say, our Father, the devil could come back and say, how dare you? You know what you are. You know what you've done, that you would walk into God's living room and interrupt him and ask him to pay attention to your requests. And it is the objective reality that we are God's children. I am baptized. I am absolved. I have tasted and you know, drank the, the body and blood of Christ, and that is for my forgiveness. It's finished, devil, and, and I have received that finished objective hope in the divine service. And that is how I dare draw near to my Father, even as you think, as we come into the divine service. The Lord gives us his absolution so we can draw near to him in the supper, and we can draw near to have a holy conversation where he speaks to us in his word, and we respond in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. So I think although I did not research it, that we draw near to God. Certainly the writer of Hebrews is very informed about the priesthood and the temple and the sacrifices of the Old Testament, and that's drawing near in worship to receive those gifts. Uh, But it's also drawing near in our own prayers, um, so he draws near to us. You know, it's it's a both and I should say, um, he draws near to us that we might draw near to him. And when we draw, draw near to him and worship, he draws near to us. It's
0: mm. um, it's a wonderful, uh, well, I would say, reality that we that we have that's so beautifully portrayed here, proclaimed to us uh, uh, in this book. Which is even proven more and more. Like I said, he's doing a lot of comparisons of the earthly priests, the priesthood, and Jesus's priesthood, the um, worldly priesthood versus the eternal priesthood, the lifely priesthood versus the forever priesthood. And so I want to continue on. We'll go through verses 20 through 24. Because he expands on this even more and once again makes you know that you can draw near to the Lord as he draws near to us. 20 through 24. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one who was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guar- guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So pastor here, he makes a lot of uh, oath uh, comparisons, priests, uh, the eternal priests, forever, so forth. How would you break down these verses?
1: Obviously, one of the key words here is oath. And that's a promise. You know we we know from the the second commandment that we should not make frivolous oaths or use the Lord's name lightly or irreverently, but that when we are required to, mainly by law or by the church we can make an oath so this right away sets the seriousness or in the comparison when we run that comparison on the word oath something that is said without an oath is not as great or serious i don't I'm trying to loss of words here but as something with an oath and so, when the Lord makes comments about you will be a priest forever, it's preceded by the Lord has sworn. So, once again, the contrast and comparison, the Levitical priesthood and the law was not sworn by an Oath. Although I know I might get in trouble because I know I've read things about the law is eternal. So here it might be referring to the laws, the ceremonial laws regarding sacrifice and the priesthood. They were not to go on forever. But Mm -hmm. the priesthood of Jesus goes on forever. His work is enduring. And that is reflected in the fact that the Lord swore an oath about the saving work of Christ, that he would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the things unsworn do not endure. They pass away. God has not given us the promise that they will endure forever forever. But the things that are sworn, to which he has given his oath and promise, they go on forever. And that is why the writer of Hebrews can say in verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Again, you've got that comparative word, better. Well, (laughs) is it just a little better? (laughs) No, it's really the only covenant that lasts. But that's far better than a covenant that doesn't last or a covenant that cannot deliver on what it promises. God's covenant with the Old Testament people is not as great as the covenant he makes or the testament he gives us in Christ. But that Old Covenant serves the New Covenant. It's not irrelevant, not complete. It wasn't sworn. I mean, we could get into a long discussion, and I'd have to do some studying, but the attitudes of many Christians towards the nation of Israel and its its necessity you know, to come back in some great way or to rebuild the temple so that we know the end of time is upon us, well, that, that sort of ignores... Christ as the completion of that Israel, and the new and greater Israel of all who believe uh, in, in Jesus, the, the temple being fulfilled, and God dwelt with us in the flesh of Christ. There's the temple, and even the Holy Spirit dwelling in each of us, that now by that miracle of faith, God dwells in us, Christ dwells in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But the key is that word oath, meaning the Lord's word that you are a priest forever. Similar to when he promised to David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. The, the kingship of Israel uh, disappeared, you know, with the last Old Testament kings.
0: But the throne of David remains forever in Christ. It's it's interesting to look at the, the former priests that they would make an oath. And it's much, much like an oath that we will make, you know, the ordination vows that we have, confirmation right. oaths that we'll make, that we are making that oath. But the distinction of a priest and the high priest of Jesus is it's God making the oath of Jesus. You know, God saying that this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That, that God right. is saying this is the one that lasts forever. For us, it's our oath to God, which we know how that can go. Um, now great. He makes an oath to us to save us, but we make an oath to him and boom, you know, it's, it is literally like it just kind of disappears in a heartbeat. But here, um, not only does God make the oath, but it lasts forever. You know, a priest will die. Jesus died and rose again. I mean, it, the, the comparisons are everywhere, and it's not even. He says better in verse twenty-two, but then he shows what is better that it continues forever. I mean, is the language that really struck me as I read this is um, just that whole understanding of this was the earthly priest, this is the eternal priest. Any last thoughts? I mean, I want to get to verse twenty-five because I think that's one of the more amazing parts of all of Scripture is to know what Jesus does yeah. today. But anything other than those verses um, through twenty-four.
1: One thing popped into my mind as you were talking about the priesthood and and the oaths they made, and then the office of the ministry and the oaths we made, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. this is one of those analogies between the New Testament times and the Old Testament times, is that when Christ returns again the last time, the office of the ministry will also be over, that this is a temporary ministry, because we are simply giving the gifts of Christ now to faith, but when Christ returns, we'll have them by sight. Uh, we will be complete. We we have those things all by faith, but as uh, you sort of confessed there, you know, we know how that oath keeping goes because we're still <laughs> sinners. God is still sanctifying us, and this to me has become the mind boggling thing about the resurrection is that each of us will be without sin. And I have no idea what that's like. But I will be selfless for the first time in my life. And there won't be any reason for me to have a pastor anymore, or to to be a pastor. Because all believers who have been raised in Christ will then experience that perfection and completion of Christ's saving work and that we will be raised without sin and incorruptible. you know we won't be able to fall into sin again.
0: so the foreverness of Jesus is the same promise that we have because of his resurrection, which is hard to fathom, and that's one of the yes. <laughs> one of the struggles that we have uh, with this language is even if you say he's better and he's forever, it's still impossible for us to understand until Christ comes again. And we actually experience, if I can say that word, um, what the resurrection and the foreverness of God and us joining him will be like. So, Pastor, I want to continue to move us forward, though, because I want to get to verse 25 as we get to the end of our chapter today. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, before we get to that last part about intercession, uh, it's probably good for us to speak about verse twenty-five at the beginning. Where consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost uh, those. Once again, those who draw near to him through him, uh, to God through him. So, to break down that for us, uttermost. Uh, this is kind of a unique language again. What are your thoughts on those words?
1: Um, it's an interesting word, at least as I look at it. <laughs> It's uttermost has that word again for perfection and completion in it and it's it's kind of a uh, what's that when two words are joined together to make one new word, but it's all complete I, that that would be you know if we would put it in you know uttermost, we're trying to you know like if it, it's God saving, Everything you know, like there's no place you can go where he can't get you, but it's a certain redundance of language. Like, if you know, uttermost is the combination of two words, and uh, so it again, it the the superiorness, the, the the highest, the the most you could say about anything that's what's being said about Jesus. Here, um, it's almost like the writer of Hebrews, the the Holy Spirit's pushing him to use words that are going to be, be of, above people's comprehension. Like, mm-hmm. as you would mm-hmm. say, you know, he'll go to the utter lengths of the earth and further. And you go, like, that doesn't make <laughs> sense. I mean, you can't go beyond <laughs> the ends of the earth. But, right. but Jesus, Jesus can't. <laughs> So that's how I look on that. It it's just this wonderful gospel promise, you know, of where he is able to go or how, you know, how great is his salvation that it saves to the the uttermost. You know. It maybe it's I don't know. I'm just trying to think of illustrations like, you know, it's like hyperactive. Well, we know what active is and hyper, you know, if you're active, that's good. Active is good. You're moving around. You're doing things, you know, hyperactive, you know, that that's even just more activity. But if you would say like, well, he's hyper, hyperactive. Well, you can't really get above hyperactive. I mean, that's that's heightened activity. How much. But that's what this word is like. Right. You know, he's the hyper, hyper most savior. You know, he's above all things and he will find you wherever you are. Uh, Wherever you have gone, it is not too far for him to come and save, even if you think no one could be lower, no one could be farther. Um, And again, then you look at the consequence of his salvation, as we just talked about, when Jesus returns... It, it's going to be more than, than we ever imagined. We often mm-hmm. use earthly ideas to imagine what heaven will be like, but those ideas will just fall away uh, because we're just projecting a better earth onto what it will be like, uh, but it will be even more.
0: It's kind of like when you said hyperactive, it's probably the language he would use is forever active which is incomprehensible. Like, how does that work? You know, and that's and that's something that goes with this. As you said, he is constantly pointing us to what is better. But the better betterness is foreverness. I can can keep making up words as we go here because it's kind of fun. Um, But this is what he is speaking. And then he gives us something at the end of this that I've always enjoyed comprehending is, and I still don't comprehend it, is since he always lives to make intercession for them. We know he forever always lives. This is our resurrection reality, the hope that we have that as he lives, we will live. He is currently living. And it says to make intercession for them. Pastor, we have about six minutes left in our time here. I do want you to to address this. What does it mean to make intercession for them? When you think of this chapter
1: as talking about the priestly order of Melchizedek and and the Levitical priesthood, their job, uh, their work was to stand between man and God. That's the priestly work. Sometimes they would do that by bringing the sacrifices of the people to God and offering them to him. But really then that also served that that blood that was shed, which would be completed in Christ, then returned to the people again through the work of the priest. It wasn't his work, but it was God's means that forgiveness was brought to them. And so that priest, that's what it is. They stand between God and man, very much like the office of the ministry you know we bring we we bring prayers to God on behalf of our people, but we also bring the gifts of God from God, to our people, from Christ in word and sacrament. Well, this again, all all points to, finds its completion, finds its function in Christ. because as he sits at God's right hand, He is the eternal, forever, always priest. So he is petitioning his Father on your behalf, because you're his beloved. Just as the Spirit, you know, we're promised that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us, you know, in ways that we can't even understand This again, just this is how Hebrews is more and better and the greatest and so comforting because here you have Christ, your Savior, who completed your salvation and who has given that to you uh, through the word and the sacrament, but now gives you the confidence that he is... Interceding, He's standing between you and his father, always speaking on your behalf for you. Um, just a wonderful picture. You can think of some Old Testament examples, like when Abraham uh, interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you know, if only five righteous were found there. Uh, when Moses uh, intercedes for the Israelites. These are weaker pictures
0: of what Christ is doing always and forever. So let's continue to move forward. I, you know what? I, I almost want to invite Pastor Tim back, and we'll just talk about verse twenty five at some point because it is it is so wonderful, the foreverness of God. Well we have about thirty seconds left. So oh, Pastor, can okay. you give us an in, in thought as we look at these last verses and summarize the whole chapter? And can you do that for us in thirty seconds? No, I can't.
1: But I will give you a thirty seconds of Pastor Tim thoughts. Um, just picking up on verse twenty-six, it is fitting. Uh, I think with those words, the writer of Hebrews, given by the Spirit, uh, this is the this is the high priest we need. This Jesus, that every other. Uh, gift the Lord has given us, even those things which point to Christ, they, they are all for him and to him and through him, and he is the one we need. And so many times we can get caught up in things that are given us by God, as perhaps even the people in the Old Testament, they love the Levitical priesthood, and that they would still want. Um, same way we can get caught up in our pastors and our churches, but it is all about Christ. It is fitting that we have this high priest who was sworn by God in, um, by oath in the order of Melchizedek, and I think that probably brings us to the end of our time.
0: It does pastor bruce tim of redeemer lutheran church in saint cloud minnesota giving us the gifts of christ from hebrews chapter 7 pastor tim thank you again for being our guest you're very welcome i'm your host brady finner and pastor messiah lutheran church in sartell minnesota thank you for joining us and the lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands